Welcome to Peripheral Thinking, a series of conversations with artists, activists, entrepreneurs, advisors, all people working on or championing the ideas at the margins, on the periphery. Because the ideas which will shape the mainstream tomorrow are hiding today on those margins at the periphery. Now, this conversation is uh, the second part of a conversation of something a little bit different. Um, It's a conversation with James Harrop, who is a kind of specialist in story, crafting story. Um, This conversation uh, is a little bit different in the sense that it's actually James interviewing me of sorts, although it's not really that. It's a rich and lively conversation between the two of us. Uh, As I mentioned, the first part of this, this is the second part of the conversation. So if you haven't already, I would strongly suggest, firstly, you go to the website, peripheral-thinking.com and have a listen to part one, because the truth is this part two is not going to make a lot of sense without having listened to part one, that being the way of things. Uh, and also a little word of caution. This part two has a number of what might come across as some rambling thoughts, rambling thoughts about mashed potato uh, being available to buy ready mashed, rambling thoughts about the importance of ending things. Uh, So in a sense, maybe think about this episode in terms of what it is, which is a bridge from, uh, from the first part of the conversation to the concluding part, which will follow afterwards. But for now, I hope you enjoy part two of three conversations with James talking about the story of growth, the all-pervasive story of growth. I hope you enjoy. We have a very linear idea of success, you know, and when we kind of, you know, you can swap out success for growth, you know, when often like, uh, when you're kind of uh, finding a story for a client, it's like, you know, uh, to, to maximise growth or, you know, to, to, to improve like impact and growth. And it's, these are these are the things. Um, and it's very, it's in a very kind of straight line um which again is a is a fiction that we have sort of constructed this uh this idea of the uh you know the state of nature that human beings were in and then became agriculture and then came industry and you know and cities came around that and kind of you know capitalism naturally emerged from this straight line and on it goes with the and everybody must go go this way um there's an excellent book called the dawn of everything um, it's by uh, David Graeber and uh, David Wengro, uh, an archaeologist and uh, anthropologist, and yeah, and they kind of deconstruct this story. They say this is this is a fantasy. This kind of whether it's Hobbesian or Rousseauian, um, this sort of like it's it was kind of created after the fact. And if you go back and look, there's kind of there was no primitive state. There was actually different lots of different models, lots of different innovations, lots of different ways of kind of working that mixed agriculture and foraging and all together. And it would last for a time, it would be seasonal, and people would come together in cities and then go away again when they didn't need to be together. And it was not just this kind of straight line of sort of, of, of yeah, progress, growth, and that we sort of like, we have now convinced ourselves that that is how our, you know, this is our vision of humanity and you know that this is the correct line also that we should follow but rather that yeah in our kind of business life in our work life that there must also be this kind of yeah straight line that kind of you know you can see the the graph you know and it's like yes it must be it must go it must go up whereas actually the way you describe it these kind of you know regular sort of uh pruning you know if death is too if killing is too <laughs> if killing is a bit too strong but regular sort of cutting back and kind of pruning and then letting 
something new grow. And instead of this kind of one direct line, you actually have these little kind of, yeah, fern-like unfurlings and different things kind of coming and looping back. And, you know, okay, then that one has its time and it stops, but then it causes something else to grow. That model, that image, that, that picture is a far more inspiring and kind of seemingly realistic view than this this, this infinitely kind of uh, upwards straight line of kind of progress and growth and because uh, at what expense you know what is fueling it if it can't if there isn't this circle of life where the thing goes back and dies and goes to where, where are you getting the kind of resources right, from right and of course that is everything you're talking about there like the um you know the 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 kind of story around that the curve which goes up on the graph you know that kind of that linear always up always ticking up uh kind of slope the ramp up to some sort of eternal greatness um you know the the thing around that of course i think in a way like what you're sort of pointing to that on a systemic level clearly you know what resources are fewer than that you know that we know is the thing which is causing huge sort of huge problem is actually what is what is resourcing that where is the energy for that in a kind of you know in a sort of literal energy sense and you know that is a hugely that's a hugely destructive endeavor but also just like for me on a like a personal emotional level actually the idea it, it feels to me that 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 is kind of creates this sort of you know you're trying to build a house on sand essentially like this constant kind of race to be feeding this you know always up trajectory it's just it's an impossibility so it's not even like for me that it's kind of more more reassuring like just having a slightly kind of messier sort of cycle rather than it's not even that it's kind of more reassuring it's just just so much more relaxing it's like oh thank fuck for that Do you know what I mean because the idea like I can't you know the, the, exactly as you say whether it's the kind of the macro resources we're kind of just the personal emotional resources to be pushing this kind of illusion because it is an illusion like you talk about going from David Graeber and all those kind of writing this idea it is an illusion so the cost of perpetually trying to live out an illusion is fucking exhaustion basically isn't it and you know it's I think just like for me just on a personal emotional level the cost is too much and actually if you could just put it down and go thank fuck for that I'm not it's not I can't do that that was all that's all an impossibility it doesn't mean to say there is not there is not time for growth or opportunity for growth or some points are up but it's it's like not always forever you know, like with that, there is also then down. So how can I get comfortable in that sort of slightly more kind of messy, messy cycle? Yeah, a messy cycle where growth is, yeah, this circular or, I mean, it's not even, it's not even a circle. It's more like a kind of Celtic cross or something, you know, like it's sort of, it's these sort of real kind of like interweaving uh, loops and um, also recognising the interconnectedness of as you say, you know the your your emotional, your human emotional uh, well-being, your human emotional self, and those resources. You know the, this kind of idea of like of the story of the of the upward curve is the story of the kind of eighties shoulder pad, like you know the Richard Gere in Pretty Woman, kind of going in and kind of destroying. What does he do? He goes in and destroys companies or whatever and consumes them. Yet somehow, even in our kind of avocado and rye bread kind of um green smoothie sort of business culture you know which is you know all the people that i work with also are are, tend to be smaller to medium-sized businesses and these are people who are kind of conscious and aware but yet still there is this idea of sort of busyness 
of kind of work as a as a sort of as a badge yeah. of uh, suffering of, of, uh, of kind of honor <laughs> well, yeah a, a suffering <laughs> with kind of with burnout as the ultimate sort of prize you know the ultimate exactly. <laughs> you you've made it, it. You made it things are really shit <laughs> <laughs> So what does I mean? What does still drive that? Is it still is it greed? The sort of underlying kind of emotion of that you know that 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 exponential like curve because obviously you don't need it. You don't need it to always be better than the the year before. And is there at some point does it kind of slip over from okay? Look, this is what I need emotionally, physically. Um, in my life to like it does it, it somehow it becomes a game and it's just like well look i just need more zeros on my uh on my bank account and and, and is that like is that shift from sort of shift into kind of statistical thinking i think it is where it's all just about it becomes uh a, a, the, what you spoke about at the beginning you know gdp and these sort of like these units of measurement and when it all becomes statistical when it all becomes unitary um it's very easy to do terrible things uh, as kind of history sort of uh, attests, when it's just sort of numbers on paper and boxes to tick, then suddenly it's, it becomes very easy. So if that you know statistical thinking kind of facilitates uh, the evils, let's call them, of sort of uh, of rapacious capitalism. Uh, what is the kind of drive? Is it is it is it greed? I mean, it's it's, it's a good question. There's a couple of things that sort of came to mind as you were talking there. One, just before I come to the greed thing, um, just the, the game aspect. I think that 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 can't be overlooked for sure. I remember once, um, so the last sort of proper company I had, I had sort of uh, was stopped working with about five, six years ago or something. But it, that was the sort of the, the final ending point of a sort of, of a declining journey, which had sort of gone on for some years before that. And I remember coming home, I remember I'd been out doing exercise early one morning. My kids were little, very little at the time. Uh, so I'd been out doing exercise early one morning and I remember coming home and so it was, I don't know, maybe like seven in the morning or something. And outside my house was a cat, right? And the cat had um, a mouse, right? But um, the cat, so was cat was sitting in the pavement. So I come up, the cat's just outside my sort of out on the pavement outside my uh, outside my house, and it has this mouse. But the cat was sitting there, and the cat looked so fucking bored, right? But it was like it had sort of had this mouse that it was just sort of patting and holding not patting but like sort of like it's like the cat i was looking at the cat thinking that was also the cat was looking at me going like this is so fucking boring i just have to do this because it's somehow my job is to sort of catch this but i can't really be fucked here. i don't even want to eat the animal i barely want to kill it but it's like something in me is sort of telling me that i'm supposed to be killing this thing it's boring, I'm bored, the mouse is sort of dying, and we're all kind of just sort of playing out this game over which we have very little control. And I looked at the cat and thought, fuck, I'm doing that. Right? <laughs> so it's like, I need to <laughs> I need to separate myself from my company. I need to end that because I just feel like I'm kind of playing out a game. So this that was sort of slightly off topic, but the point around game I think cannot be cannot be sort of overstated. These games that we are kind of plugged into and playing, whether we're a cat or whether we are a mouse or whether we are a person, they can't be they can't be overstated for sure. 
Uh, so undoubtedly that potentially has, has some some part of it. The other thing then, so about what's what's kind of really sitting behind it. I mean, of course, that's like a massive question in a sense. So some of the, what I'm one of the areas I'm really interested in studying is around kind of Buddhism or a lot of Eastern philosophy generally. And uh, like, so essentially what the Buddha taught is the, you know, the quirks of the mind are about greed, hatred and delusion. So the mind will go to greed, hatred and hatred and delusion. And so it has a kind of natural propensity to kind of go there. And so part of the work of meditation in that context is about understanding the movement of the mind, understanding that, you know, left to its own devices, that's where it will, that's where it will go. Uh, and so that is why you meditate, that is why you practice, that's why you learn from teachers, is to understand that movement and to understand how that movement turns up in your own mind, in your own life. And the more that you understand that, then, you know, so the story of the Buddha goes, the more you understand that, then you get on a path, a journey beyond that. You are no longer kind of compelled by that so much. But if you don't do that work, those things are blind to you, those drives are blind to you. Therefore, you know, you are hooked into, you know, the pattern, the game a little bit of of greed, hatred and delusion. So that greed is a kind of natural movement of the mind. So for sure, like within that sort of school of thought, that points a little bit potentially to to what's going on. For me, in a kind of, I, I also think maybe there's sort of something else like, and, you know, clearly I'm just an amateur at this. I have, there will be people who actually know. So I'm sort of a little bit kind of careful about what I'm, what I'm saying. But it feels to me like greed in a sense is a is is a kind of response to an insecurity you know we're trying to fill something up we're trying to make something go away and so you know whether so that can only be a a felt thing essentially so something you know i'm trying to fill myself up in some way i'm trying to make something else go away and so greed a kind of hunger to consume is a way that i make that feeling go away and so in in part you know this kind of this will to consume this will to greed then by that kind of so that line of thinking is you know maybe that's what I'm doing is I'm just trying to make sort of ill feeling I'm trying to make discomfort go away uh, and I kind of do that by filling myself up a little bit and then that that gets you know, that starts to get played out on kind of on sort of um on cycles and scales that kind of reverberate out from us it starts to get played out on you know on whole kind of macro societal levels essentially which is uh, I don't know if you if you read the, have you read much of uh, the Dr. Gabor Mate? Have you read much of his his stuff? Really good, really interesting stuff to read. So he he was a, he is a doctor, um, but his doctoring took him to working in downtown Vancouver, and downtown Vancouver has like one of the most sort of totally sort of destroyed communities of uh homeless people drug addicts but you know basically people who society has just got you know no you know you were out over there and they live in this kind of one area and he he was the doctor the kind of physician for this area and that kind of you know got him into starting to you know sort of explore a lot around he writes a lot about psychology now but by his own he's not a psychiatrist he's he's a doctor essentially he's a physician who worked with these people and starting to you know just see the patterns see the repeat patterns of the relationship between addiction and trauma right like all these people who are sort of addicted and sort of have been spat out by society all have a fundamental underlying have had you know have experienced fundamental underlying trauma uh, and so and he actually started to understand it in his own life too so um he had actually he was born in the 1940s in um in Budapest to a family of Hungarian Jews and so he he was born 
um, in into the Budapest ghetto. And when he was uh, six months old, his to basically to keep him as to keep him alive, his mum gave him to somebody else, like a friend, essentially. And so, like six month old baby, give the baby to someone else because she knew she had to give him away in order for him to have a chance of surviving because it's in the ghetto people everyone's being taken away to uh, concentration camps so she gave him away and um as it happened he then was reconnected with his mum like i don't know 6 months or 12 months later but you know had a had a sort of massive trauma at the kind of sort of start of his life and um it's kind of came back to his uh, his work that he was doing with in 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 Vancouver because he also started to recognise he had an addiction too. But his addiction turned up in buying music CDs, right? He would always be buying CDs. Any opportunity he had, he would buy a new CD. But he was, so he had an addiction, which played out in, you know, the, in, in, in consuming, in buying things. And, you know, he, he kind of makes the kind of very real point that his addiction is no different to the addiction, you know, the person who's addicted to heroin or the person who's addicted to crack or whatever it might be. And of course, we, we see this in our culture all the time there's massive addiction there's addiction to these devices that we are sort of you know there's addiction to phone there's addiction to work there's addiction to you know the kind of technology and all that sort of stuff and he points to this idea that you know in a way the likelihood of of sort of addiction sort of coming to root in our in our lives is linked a lot to the idea of trauma and trauma doesn't need to be like what we would consider like you know real trauma like someone like him is given a away from his mother because the Nazis are coming and they're taking everybody off because you know like we can look at it all oh, right no, that's real trauma you know or the people in Vancouver which maybe were come you know first nation people and they're taken away from their land it's like although that's real trauma now, here's a really kind of good definition of trauma which obviously I cannot remember right at this moment but it's essentially it's not about the act itself it's about our memory of the act itself so you know, trauma can, you know, turn up in all sort of different ways. And I think for me, I kind of wonder the relationship between this, the relationship between greed, the relationship then between the need to consume to kind of make a discomfort go away, that consuming, that the act of consuming, the act of greed, in a sense, is another addiction, and addiction possibly being linked to that kind of underlying sort of trauma and tension and disconnect, which is kind of happens across our whole culture, in a way. And so for me, like... um you know, you, you made reference to the sort of 1980s film, the idea of that somehow this the greed was like this, the time of big shoulder pads. But in a sense, that story of greed isn't just about the 1980s. It's about that's like our last really in a supercharged way, the last 50 or 60 years. And I kind of do wonder whether that in part is linked to disconnects a lot of the systems that we had kind of been sort of depended on or connected to whether they were familial whether they were kind of bigger than that whatever they might be as those things all kind of crumble and creak as the stories on which we had kind of always sort of relied on and told ourselves as those things no longer kind of make sense whether there is this kind of underlying kind of disconnect and underlying anxiety and underlying wound in a sense which the propensity to greed, the propensity to consume, just builds on. I think that's uh, wonderfully insightful, actually, to, to look at it, to pull out to that kind of macro scale and see what is the trauma of our of our world, you know? Uh, and this idea that, you know, trauma is relative, like it's, you know, your trauma, it doesn't have to be, your trauma is uh, relative to you, you know? It is how we, how we react, how you feel it. 
and um, yeah, everybody's trauma is valid. I mean, yeah, well, we could look to the first and second world wars as a kind of as a if you want to look for a real trauma. Um, but also, yeah, this uh, this disconnection, and I think it's tied up with that. Um, this disconnection that mechanization clearly kind of gave, and this idea of like, okay, uh, uh, sort of machine gun like production line kind of mechanics, and sort of you know, yeah, 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 take it, take it, take it. Um, it seems that it might be as simple as to say, look, you can't have it, you can't have whatever you want whenever you want it. In our kind of like in our sort of cultural uh, habit, like I was, uh, I live in. Uh, Berlin now. Uh, I was recently back in London, and uh, I was buying. Uh, we were staying near Marks and Spencers, and I was buying pre-mashed potato in a plastic, in a plastic packet. You know, because I because I could. Oh, I was busy, and yeah. oh, the kids need. Yeah. Well, They're hungry. I need to feed them. It's there. <laughs> it's there. I buy. It. I could have it whenever I wanted mm. it. Sunday, Easter, like <laughs> Easter mm. Sunday, whatever. I could go and buy pre-mashed potato in a packet. Uh, if I couldn't get it, I'd be mad, you know, like, where's my mashed potato? But actually, to be told, like, no, sorry, you can't have that. Uh, you can have these potatoes and, like, uh, and mash them. And then it will even, like, you can't have that. Uh, you know, I want any color of clothing at any time. I want it sent to me. I want four sizes of it. I want it, like, I want it all. I want it now. Just a, a, a simple kind of switch as well. No, you can't have it right now you 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 can have it sometime but you have to wait and it might cost more because of the the sort of criteria that it has to meet yesterday i um i <laughs> yes i spoke to a guy who uh, on my podcast who wrote uh, this book which is called at work in the ruins by uh, somebody called Dougal Tyne and it's a brilliant book uh, and it was a super really just really inspiring conversation for me and it, it, so his book it's really just and I'll kind of leave you to do the kind of the, the reading was book but just sort of general kind of thing so he he's like a long-term climate activist although he says he's not an activist because like actually people who you know, like tie themselves to bridges or uh, Greta Thunberg or uh, Vandana Shiva. Like he says, these, these people are real activists. You know, they put their bodies on the line. They put themselves on the line. He has not done that. He's, you know, he's, but he, he's a, he's a long-term uh, kind of talker and uh, campaigner for, for climate issues. But he, um, he said some, somewhere, and he, he, li- he's, he's, he lives in Sweden now. He's, he's a British man, or British by birth, lives in Sweden now. Um, but he was sort of talking about, there was a the kind of a sequence of things that happened around the, around the time of the COVID pandemic that brought him to the conclusion that actually you could no longer, it no longer made sense to talk about climate change. Uh, and he was saying like, for, for him, for somebody who'd spent the previous 15 years talking about climate change, this was like a sort of very significant thing. And he, was, he, was, he, was, he said he was in conversation with a friend of his and he said that. And then he said, as the words came out, he thought, shit, I really better write down what I mean by that because that's a pretty significant sort of thing. And anyway, the book is that writing down of what he kind of means by that. 
the thing around it is that uh, he, he's sort of talking about the myriad crises, essentially, that we are kind of facing, whether it's kind of climate, whether it's things around pandemic. But and there, you know, he's, he kind of weaves together and sort of stitches together really very super inspiring, sort of compelling um, sort of series of thoughts around it. But, he, you know, in a, in a way to kind of super paraphrase what he's sort of talking about, the, the reason that he kind of no longer sort of talking about climate change is because he's saying that actually the conversation, the question, of course, needs to be much, much bigger than that. It's not about whether I might persuade a metaphorical you that, you know, there's this whole fucking problem with the climate and it's going to, you know, do this. It's like, actually, though, the time for those sorts of things is kind of gone a little bit. You know, for him, like, it's like, well, you know, these crises turn up in lots of ways. Actually, for lots of the things that we support, there's a crisis of loneliness. There's a crisis. There's mental health crises. There's yes, there's climate crisis. All of these sorts of things are kind of turning up in their in their own kind of way. So they all kind of demand a, a kind of a, a reflection and question beyond the tools that we currently have, which essentially come down to sort of science. And this is why his route into this, uh, which he was saying, like for lots of the, the last fifteen years, his role actually has been to work alongside climate scientists to contribute to and kind of to help translate the translate the story to translate the debate so he comes from a place of huge respect and um kind of care for what science is and what scientists know but within that he also then knows well where that knowledge stops and where that where that you know where a knowing needs to begin is is kind of how he starts to put it but the reason i sort of share all of that is that he Essentially, in a sense, a lot of what his book is about is about the the kind of the requirement in a way to give up the quiet, the requirement in a way to start to kind of let things die, because his the, the kind of general sort of thesis, this idea that the trajectory that we're on. You know, could take us in one direction. It's not just about kind of climate breakdown, but also the idea that kind of that the the continuation of the story that fed the idea of growth is the story which says you know big tech is the solution to that. This idea that somehow the planet is there to be managed, that somehow it is there to be controlled, which is the extension of a lot of things that we're sort of talking around. You know, around you know where the kind of human mind, how the human mind has kind of vomited its sort of attempt to control onto the world. But that is kind of one thing. And then the alternative, as he's sort of talking about, is you could go big like that or you could go small. And small starts to mean many, many different things. But this idea of uh, one of the books which he refers to a lot, which was one of his inspirations for writing it, was a book called Hospicing Modernity. And um, the idea behind that book is that um, essentially that we need to be better at endings, which are obviously my words, not not uh, not the author's words. I think she's called uh, Vanessa Mercado Oliveira. Uh, and that we need to be we need to be better at endings. We need to start to kind of end the things in our culture which no longer serve us and also which are we are unlikely to be able to sort of carry on and so the reason I started this whole sort of uh, sort of slight sort of tangent was to your point there around uh, maybe we just need to get better at sort of n- accepting we can't just have whatever we want all of the time one of the the, the kind of the, he ends with a kind of series of really beautiful invitations or questions reflections essentially at the end of the book because he's not offering solutions it's not saying because like for him that's just a continuation of the same thing there's a problem and here's a solution but it's like climate it's too big it's too it's too big it's too big a thing for that so he kind of offers with these uh these um ends with these uh reflections these invitations and um one of them is about 
kind of mourning the things from the culture that we're not able to take into the into a new way of being and so that idea of you know my the that i can have mashed potato ready mashed for me whatever i want you know might just be one of those things that we practice mourning it's like that was beautiful that we were able to do that you know that and you know kind of childbirth and mothers not dying and all those sorts of things these these kind of things which have been the kind of benefit of the culture and also like we're sort of joking you know that i can eat avocado on rye bread all year round from the south coast of england you know maybe again that is just a thing from this culture that we kind of mourn and we say that was great it was beautiful that that was possible and that we're not we're not able to kind of carry it forward and part of the act of kind of mourning is about telling the the stories of what was good so he kind of points to which is comes from uh, Vanessa's book that is part of what kind of mourning is is about telling the stories celebrating the life that was led and the life that was le- the, the life that was led equally includes mashed potato whenever I want or avocado whenever I want or you know like I said the kind of wonders those aspects of kind of sort of science which have been hugely sort of uh, powerful and, and kind of positive some of those things we're going to be able to carry forward into the new version of culture some of those things it's just not going to be possible to carry carry forward and those things that it's not possible to mourn them well to end them well to tell the stories of those things in the right and positive way and so in that we should include mashed potato available whenever you want yeah I, you know i would take a day of mourning watch the little plastic packet sail off that's it that's it we give it the the viking burial it deserves the way you describe it is great because it's not you're not turning people off for for this thing you're not making them feel bad about it you're not like uh, giving everybody like a hard time it's like yeah these things were, it was the peak of civilization we had mashed potato whenever we wanted it you know like it was it was beautiful but it like you know it took it took we took it too far it it, it took us to the edge uh, but it was a it was a golden age um because i think that's uh there's there's some there's kind of danger in the story of and maybe uh um he also felt this way this kind of you know the climate kind of crises a kind of alarmist story of kind of uh, climate catastrophe. It's not an empower. It's not a motivating story. It's not a like it. It feels too big and it feels too scary and it feels like I kind of uh, I just want to hide hide away and not and not have to face it. But actually, little these little kind of sacrifices or these little sort of deaths, you know, with love and able to kind of let go and get and kind of give. Give it, give it with love, and tell the tell the story of it, and sort of you know shed a tear, and then be like, okay, we uh, we can we can move on now, and uh, it's it's for the greater good. Yeah, and just with it, because the other thing he kind of goes on to talk about is in that moment of moving on, which you had just sort of got to there, is also which kind of links to the other thing you were saying around the the kind of catastrophizing not being an empowering story, but in that moment of kind of moving on to move on with the spirit of wonder, with the spirit of curiosity, with the spirit of inquiry. Because the other thing that can happen is that somehow we also assume that, you know, if I, you know, as I say goodbye to the mashed potato, which I can no longer carry through to, to the new culture, that, you know, that, that it's easy to default to actually somehow things are going to be worse, right? And all, I think what he's talking about is not that, there will not be hardship because of course there would be hardship by the the story he's talking about but equally it's really important we don't know because of the mystery and kind of the, the mystery and magic of it all we don't actually know 
what is going to come to pass what will what will happen what will be created once we've said once we've sailed the mashed potato off down down the river you know we don't know and to to step into that with a spirit of hope to step into that with a spirit of curiosity and inquiry and sort of positivity i think is really important because we just don't know actually what what comes to pass when we say goodbye to mashed potato thank you for listening to that part 2 of my conversation with James. Uh, I hope the talk of mashed potato and ending things wasn't too off-putting for you. As ever, if you like these podcasts, you're curious to know more, check out, head over to peripheral-thinking.com. You'll find all the information there, all the podcasts you can sign up to be kept up to date with everything that's happening. And as ever, if you think that somebody else would benefit from listening to these conversations with James or any of the other conversations we're doing, please point them to the website, please feel free to share. Until next time, thank you. Bye-bye.